0: Alive and Kicking on News Talk. Yes, you can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com or find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire McKenna Presents. Coming up this morning, Catherine O'Keefe, also known as the Wellness Warrior, has been encouraging women to talk and learn about the menopause for years. She's been heartened to see the focus increase in recent years. But with that comes positive and negative effects. We'll be discussing those and her book All You Need to Know About Menopause when she joins me in studio. And I'll also be joined by Sonia Lennon and Joanne Hessian to discuss the evolving definition of leadership and how they are empowering people to lift Ireland. So what kind of health and wellness week did I have? Well, I'm loving the sunshine. You go through moments of going, life is amazing and you don't really know whether it's because life is amazing or because the sun is shining, but who cares? We'll take it. And the last couple of weeks have been quite busy and I got to last Friday and I was working a night event last Friday night and it was a busy run of work life and kids stuff. And sometimes when I've got that on the go, I will do less of the stuff that I love, meeting up with friends, going to a gym class or heading off for a big walk or just chilling out and watching something on TV. I'll just get the head down, do what needs to be done and prioritise sleep. And that's fine. I mean, I think we should go with our weeks and our needs evolve and change and we just go with the flow sometimes. But I got to last Friday, pretty exhausted, feeling sorry for myself. I had started to lean on more snacks instead of stopping for actual lunch. I had little or no patience with the kids. I was grumbling in my mind about my husband and why he wasn't being more supportive as he headed off for a much needed golf weekend in Donegal. But all of this was going on and I pulled up at this car park in Drogheda and I was early for the event. So into the shop I went, got a tub in Ben & Jerry's and sat in that car feeling quite sorry for myself and happy for myself at the same time. But it just goes to show that when you do drop those balls a little bit and don't invest in yourself, it really, really does catch up on you. And It just felt like something was missing, like I was trying to fill something. And look, that's not to say every now and then you don't just get a tub of ice cream and enjoy it. But I was definitely trying to plug something that wasn't happening. So I rested lots more over the weekend, caught up on loads of those things that I was missing out on and have been moving at a slower pace and feeling much better for it. And thank you for all of your messages about the mental health special we broadcast last week. If you missed it, you can listen back at Newstalk.com. We did hear from lots of you who have been through the system, good and bad tales to tell. And it is definitely a topic we will return to again. You can email the show at newstalk.com. Now, Catherine O'Keefe is the founder of Wellness Warrior. She's Ireland's first menopause coach and a regular contributor to the show, She has helped countless women through her online courses, through the Menopause Success Summit and now her book, All You Need to Know About Menopause. And she joins me in studio now. Well, Catherine, you're very welcome. How are you?
1: Thank you, Claire. Lovely to be with you.
0: Congratulations on the book. Um, It's been very much part of your message to let people know all they need to know about menopause. So we'll get to that in a moment. But something I loved in reading it is finding out a little bit more about you and your journey. So... Mm. You weren't born the wellness warrior, well you were, but you didn't know it at the time. (laughs) Uh, You were working in in corporates and everything.
1: Yeah, my background was, I was actually over 20 years between London and Dublin working in investment banking. I did a stint in New York actually after 9-11. So my prior career was very much the financial industry and I worked with an American bank, had an amazing career. And I actually think... My experience there was probably a launchpad for my second career because obviously a lot of the skills I picked up in those years has really enabled me to, you know, to really push home the message in relation to menopause and to speak openly about it and also to work in workplaces, you know, with bringing awareness around menopause. So, you know, it's kind of, it's that chapter that I think, brought me to where I am today and I learned a huge amount through it which I'll forever be grateful for but very different.
0: <laughs> so tell people a little bit about the, the change and, and, and how it happened you going from corporates yeah. to doing what you do yeah. now.
1: So it, back in 2014 um, I started perimenopause and probably a little bit prior to that so probably the latter stages of two thousand and eight and thirteen, and I found Claire like at work I mean, I'd normally have all the information, facts, figures, everything would just roll off my tongue. I'd never have an issue. I'd never have to think twice about something. But all of a sudden, over a series of months, I started to forget details. I started to kind of my concentration... It took a lot more for me to concentrate. I found in meetings, I even found in meetings, I'd forget people's names. So it was that start of brain fog that was one of the key symptoms that it was kind of, you know, perimenopause was knocking on the door. I'm here. (laughs) And as much as I tried to ignore it, because I was kind of thinking, ah you know, I'm only 43, 44, this can't be happening. But it was. And so, you know, as those signs started to come through, I was also having very, very heavy periods at the time. It was really kind of where I started to assess where I was at and where I was at in life, you know, with my family, with my fr- with my young kids. And I decided that it was a time for a change. And I, you know, thought, OK, I'm going to take a year or two out, going to spend some time at home with the boys. And when I did that, that's when I started blogging, started researching all about menopause, because I found there was very little been discussed in relation to menopause back in 2014.
0: And we've spoken many times on the show. You've been a a regular guest and, you know, I would often call you from time to time if I have questions on things. And I was really surprised in the book to hear that you had had quite debilitating symptoms of the menopause because one of your key messages to people is to kind of turn off all of that Negative talk. Mm-hmm. You know, you're really happy that people are talking about it, but we're we're talking about it as if everyone needs to wait for this horrendous <laughs> thing to happen that you will get through, and here's the support and information. yeah, so I was really surprised that you had quite a tough time of it,
1: yeah. And I think, but I think for me, that tough time happened in the beginning. So in a way, I always kind of think I was actually lucky because, I had the brain fog. I had the heavy periods. I definitely had the anxiety. And I also had all those three things impacted my confidence. And that started to happen like, you know, when I was 43, 44. And it actually really spurred me on to write, Okay, roll up my sleeves. What am I going to do here? What can I do to really support myself going forward? So I think that set me on a very good You know, trend for the rest of my menopause journey. All those symptoms now, I don't have them. The odd time I might have brain fog, but other than that, I'm very lucky in terms of, you know, like I'm 52 now, Claire. So I am literally over eight, nine years in the perimenopause journey. I haven't yet hit menopause itself. So, but and but to date, I you know, I haven't had a hot flush. But there's other symptoms we'll have that, you know, and that's back to the individual nature. So I do think definitely I would say my experience was the early perimenopause years were definitely harder for me. That's not the same for everybody. But I think what happened for me, it was like a wake-up call and I just decided I was going to use that and make sure that the rest of my experience was positive and do everything to support myself.
0: And that's what I love about your message. It's it's very positive. Um and you talk about the menopause or the perimenopause as a time for reflection, as you did, to go mm. where because it's 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 around midlife, isn't it? So it's a time to to restock, to to have a little look at what's gone by and where do I want to go. Because I think it's a time where we realise. Time goes by really quickly. The decades yeah. shoot by. So how do I want to spend my next decades in relation to my health? And I don't think that's been part of the menopause discussion enough.
1: Oh, I, I, like massively. There's a, a whole, one of my favourite paragraphs in the book is actually the one I wrote about the middle passage. And it is that kind of I always say, you know, it is like we are on a journey on the seas and you'll have beautiful calm waters at times and this is perimenopause you can have calm times but you can have really turbulent times where uh, symptoms can be more challenging they can be quite intense and that's where you get into the roller coaster analogy but I think what we've got to remember is that this is a transition it is a change humans don't like change but in the majority of cases, as we go through any type of change, it leads us to a brighter place. And I think that's why when we look at many psychologists have talked about um, the middle years and menopause in terms of the middle passage. And it is that time of self, self-awareness, self more reflection. You are looking at, well, where am I? And I can distinctly remember that when I was, you know, sitting working in the bank and I remember sitting there thinking what where am I at like what am I doing where am I at as I'm mom? Where is I? where am I at in my career where, where am I at as a partner and it is that comes up very very strongly as you go through these years and for many people maybe you know you can just breeze through it and it, the waters aren't ruffled as much but I think certainly there is a reflection piece that happens and if we're open to it that reflection piece can actually be really empowering. With the caveat though, it's all about getting a handle on symptoms. Because if you're having really challenging symptoms, you want to do everything you can to get a handle on them. Because once you do that, then it means you're more resilient. You're more able to kind of think about, OK, well, now I'm in a calm place. I can kind of think, where am I at and where are things at? You know, but getting a handle on the symptoms and knowing the management options are key.
0: And you really break those down and the different treatments from HRT to a little more holistic view. um, And I think that's really important. But Mm -hmm. I loved that analogy that you gave as well of the waters and that we're just trying to prepare our own ship for what's inevitable. That's another word that came up time and time again. (laughs) We keep talking about it as if it's something, yes, we can control Uh and manage it, but it's going to happen anyway.
1: Yeah. And and, and, uh, like you can't skirt this you can't go around it you have to go through menopause you have to and you know I know sometimes we see you know particularly in North America they talk about they're looking at different ways could you avoid menopause but my my view would be, why would I want to avoid it? It is a natural stage in life and it is all part of that evolution of us as women, you know, moving to a stage in our life where there is more freedom, there is more confidence. You know, you have that wisdom through all your life experiences. And I think it's just so important that we hold on to the positive parts of menopause. And like, I do, I know there's harrowing stories. I've met thousands of women who are, are, have really struggled. But I think we, we've we also got to bear in mind that 25% of women go through menopause with no symptoms whatsoever, you know, and it is an inevitable stage in life. And that is a very, very important part of the conversation because we are at fear, and I, this is something I've talked a lot about on social media, because I do get concerned that there is an imbalance in the conversation in Ireland, particularly at the moment. And I think that's something, you know, we need to be very protective of that. We remember that medical options will be fantastic and life changing for some people, but not for every woman. And the most important thing for me is whether it's a work colleague or friend, partner, that that we have respect in the menopause conversation because... Everyone has their own personal menopause toolkit that they're going to develop, whether it's medical, -medical, non-medical, etc. And that's personal and unique to them. And I think it's really important that we maintain respect there because we can be very black and white in our views, but this is one area that we've got to understand the individual nature of menopause and also, clear the different types of menopause. Because, you know, we're talking very much about natural menopause, but when we get into the realm of the more earlier forms of menopause, it's a completely different experience.
0: Yeah. And it's just the way we're programmed that we feel the need to tell people what I've done or what I've heard. And, you know, I remember, particularly when I was pregnant, people would tell me all kinds of harrowing stories about their births or, you know, their cousin's cousin who lost the child at eight months. And I think, why are you telling me this stuff? It's just within within our nature. And you're right, we need to just stay respective that everybody's experience is going to be individual. And yes, we can be open and have the conversation, but we should not try and tell people what they should do.
1: I think like we want, as humans, we want to help. You always want to help someone. If a friend comes to you and they're, you know, really struggling, you want to help. But at the same time, we've just got to bear in mind that what can work for one person can be completely different for somebody else. I've met so many women who will do very well on HRT, but I've also met women who didn't do well on HRT. I could say the same for any other form of complementary therapies. You know, so it's really that individual aspect is hugely, hugely important.
0: But we don't want to hear the holistic model, do we? Because it's a bit more of a a long game, I find, in the health Mm -hmm. discussion. Mm -hmm. We're all looking, and I've looked for it myself, for the silver bullet, (laughs) the tablet that you take, that you feel amazing. Just give it to me and make it happen. And I keep thinking of Laura Dowling, the fabulous pharmacist, and I know she commented underneath your your post about respecting others. mm -hmm. And she said with all the menopause discussion, she had friends of hers ringing her just saying, I'm not experiencing anything, but will I just start taking yeah. HRT now? Yeah, And that's what's happening. We're still kind of taking it out, talking about it, but we're not quite talking about it in the right way.
1: No, I, I think I still think we've got to come back to are your symptoms mild, moderate or severe? If your symptoms are mild, then the conversation you know, with your healthcare um, uh, partner, whoever it is, should be about lifestyle. If your symptoms are more moderate and severe, then that's a different conversation that you might have with your doctor in terms of what your options are. But what we've also got to bear in mind is that regardless of what the decisions are made there in relation to symptoms, if we look at it and think of the weighing scales, and if we have the medical options on one side or even the complementary therapies, if we put them on one side of the weighing scales, on the other side of that weighing scales, what has to be there is lifestyle. So it's like the six M's of menopause. You have to have the movements, the menu, the, um, you know, the checkups. All of these things have to be there to balance out whatever you're doing in relation to management options. But I wholeheartedly agree. We want a quick fix. But even medically, I believe there's no quick fix when it comes to menopause because so many women will be using HRT. They'll still have some symptoms that they may need help with in many cases. So it's re- that's where, you know, your own personal toolkit is so important. But And I think when it comes to the non-medical options for HRT, it does require patience and you have to be prepared for that. And, you know, understand, for example, if you're going to do acupuncture, yes, you may feel some relief after your first session, but it's going to take a couple of sessions before you start to see a real impact. And it, the same is going to be with you know, many of the complementary therapies that are there. But I think it's just understanding that, you know, it, what will work for one won't work for another. And and that's really, I guess, that has always been my message is very much trying to just provide the information in an unbiased way so that women are empowered and then they can make their own personal decision. And I just think, Claire, of all the years I've worked in this space, I think it's so powerful when you have the information and you churn it in your own head and then you decide, well, this is for me and I feel good about that. And I would say to people, you know, it's you, you know, it's not what your best friend says, your partner, your sister, your mom. It's you. You've got to keep it. And I talk in the book about boundaries. You've got to keep those boundaries healthy so that you're supporting yourself in the right way.
0: Yeah, I fully agree. And the more I work in the health and wellness space, that's what it's all about. Mm. Tuning in to what you need and everybody is individual. I can't recommend the book enough. It's called All You Need to Know About Menopause. It does just that. Catherine O'Keep, Ireland's Menopause Expert, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, a Million Claire. Alive and Kicking on News Talk. You're welcome back to Alive and Kicking. Now, LIFT Ireland is a social enterprise aimed at increasing the level of positive leadership in Ireland. LIFT, which stands for Leading Ireland's Future Together, was built on a desire to change the country for the better by changing the way people view leadership. And I'm joined in studio now by two of its founders, Joanne Hessian and Sonia Lennon. Ladies, you're both very welcome.
2: Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here.
0: Before we get into your work together with Lyft, I want to ask you, Sonia, because it's a health and wellness show, I was really bowled over, as many people were, with the trip you just made with your dad and your
2: sister. What a experience of a lifetime. Tell people what you did. It was extraordinary. So I went to India in 2019 to celebrate my 50th birthday. I brought my partner and my twins. And we were we were Mind blown by it. We absolutely had the most wonderful trip. We loved it. And obviously, I was talking so much about it when I came back that my dad said, Right, that's it. I want to go. And then COVID happened. So everything was put on hold. My dad is about to turn 85. And he said to myself and my sister, I want to go to India. I want to spend three weeks. I want to bring you. um, I want to gift it to you. Um, Consider it early inheritance because I'd rather spend it with you. And so we were his guests. Um, and it was a gift in a million different ways. so great to spend the three weeks with him, so great to experience all these wonderful things together and to just enjoy each other you know so uh, yeah it 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 it's one of those things that we'll always have, you know, no matter what happens, no matter whose memory goes, like it's kind of in us now that trip um we. We got dad into a wetsuit and he went snorkeling in the Bay of Bengal. Like, that's the T-shirt right there at 84 years of age. He is an icon.
0: I absolutely love that. And you do share a lot about your mum. Your mum has dementia and is in a home. So I just think that made it a bit more poignant. (laughs)
2: It totally did. Because actually, when we got to Varanasi, which we very much wanted to visit the Ganges, it is the spiritual home of India. And we just had this magic moment where we'd all bought beads my dad meditates every day. He has his mala beads. He said he was meditating so hard his tassel fell off so he needed to replace the beads when we got to <laughs> India. And he we went down to the the shore of the Ganges, the banks of the Ganges, and we said we're going to dip our beads in the Ganges. My, my sister, who's a little bit of a, a neat freak, says... I'm not sure I want to dip my beads. I'm like, you're (laughs) dipping your beads, right? So we bought these beautiful little offerings from a woman at the edge, which is like a little candle and flowers. And we lit them, uh, one for each of us, each of the four of us. So we lit one for mum as well. And we floated them off into the Ganges and dipped our beads. And it was just a real pinch me moment where we could just stand there and say, this is happening. Mum always said she never wanted to go to India when she had her wits about her, so she got what she wanted. <laughs> and and it was wonderful. Yeah, so magic. And I always
0: really appreciate, my dad died of dementia, so I've been on that journey, and I always really appreciated the positive spin you put on dementia, your mom is in good health, she's in good form and you really share that and I really do appreciate you putting that message out yeah, there. Yeah,
2: and I, I think it's really important to tell a good story about residential care as well. We have the ghosts in the machine about what we think being in a home is and I think if you select your care caref- carefully, that can make the difference because people with dementia need structure, support and socialisation. And it's very hard for a single carer to deliver that. Um, whereas in a residential setting, we saw mum, you know, get better if you want. She, she's happier, she's cared for, she has all her needs met, she has music. She, and, and, and when you're a carer, particularly when you're a soul carer, which my dad was for 14 years, there's no space for joy and fun you're trapped in the logistic and and that takes its toll on the patient as much as on the carer.
0: Well, I'm so glad
2: he got that trip to India.
0: Me and too. Who knows what else is oh, ahead for him. Oh, he's already told
2: us it's Iceland for the Northern Lights and New Orleans. <laughs> oh, I love him. Joanne, I want to bring you in
0: um, and your family because you set up Lyft with your brother. So tell us, what was going on? Whether it was conversations or life experiences that led to that.
2: Well, <clears throat>
3: it, it's it's not like we were sitting around the dinner table and suddenly described it. I think probably Lyft has been bubbling up for a long time in my mind. And when uh, when I decided to start it, my brother David and Sonia were the natural ones to to come alongside and start with me. Um, so David has been. D- David is a a, a solicitor. Um, and had been working in one of my businesses for nearly 20 years. And really, when I... Wanted to start Lyft. I rang him and I said, "David, do you know what? There's something really wrong with our society at the moment." And and David said, do "You know what, Joanne? You're never going to change systems. You're never going to." And I I was talking about how people you know couldn't speak up in workplaces or how people are stressed in workplaces and all because of human behaviour. And David said, "You're never going to be able to change something." And I said, "But David, we we as individuals we write the policies. We 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 are we act the behaviour. You know that's who we are. So if we do it just one person at a time, we can." do it. So by the end of a 90 minute conversation where I was saying to him, you need to come and help me uh, because I really needed himself and Sonia alongside um, because of our shared values around this. Um, David said, OK, OK, I will leave my
0: job and come and help you. And that's what he did. <laughs> and what were the things that you were seeing that was giving you this fire in your belly to make change?
3: Do you know what? We have this most amazing country and I absolutely love it. Um, but I've also spent time in other places, like after the Rwandan genocide, uh, in the refugee camps. I worked there in my 20s. So I know how good it, it, we have it here, even though we have, we do have issues and problems. So we have this amazing country and yet we still have problems. You know, we have stress and anxiety. We have well-being issues. We have homelessness. We have addiction. We have in our workplaces, we have stress We have people feeling disengaged. We have young people that are the most feel the most lonely that they've ever felt. You know, we've all these different issues. And yet we've got this great country of great people. And so this has been kind of bothering me for a long time. And um, and and decided in 2017 we, we didn't start till 2018 that actually we need to do something about it and it's about how we're leading ourselves so if we think about it you know If you think about all the problems that you have or a lot of the problems that you have in your life, Claire or Sonia and I have in our lives, and our workplace and so on, they're often because of how people are behaving and acting. If I go home with my three teenagers and I shout at my kitchen table, I cause problems because of how I behave and act. If I go into my workplace and I acknowledge one person but don't acknowledge the next I start to cause problems because I start trust to crumble between people and so on. Um, So we've caused these problems and so we have a, a, a tool that we can use use throughout the nation to help people to stop and reflect about how they're behaving and how they're acting and to think actually could I get a little bit better to take one small tiny action step to get a little bit better and that's what we're doing we're creating this nationwide wave across the country of people that are using this really simple simple but not simplistic tool to stop and reflect on how am I behaving and acting and how could I get a little bit better? And these small, tiny behaviour changes are collectively creating major behaviour change. Uh, and that's what we're doing. Oh, I love this well, stuff. Just
2: I'd love to come in there and just talk about the tool itself and what it is. It well, is, first, can it, you tell us when you got involved? Because I presume you weren't as cynical as David was. No, David is our, rena- <laughs> David is our resident... Um, analytical mind and sort of detractor in some ways, but he's he's in with both feet. But he's a great counterbalance because myself and Joanne are very uh, very positive, very optimistic, very can-do. So so David is one of those critical thinkers who who will round out the picture. So yeah. it's really important to round you, you a bit and say how totally, well, how
0: are totally. we going to do it? Because there is a model in place. So
2: how does lift work? How do you do this? So it's basically a roundtable process. And what we do is we always say Lyft is not ours. It's not mine. It's not Joanne's. It's not David. It doesn't belong to the team in Lyft. It's it's a national program. And we've really seen the pull from so many different organizations because of that and and because of how simple it is to implement. So we have a facilitator training program. So anybody who's interested in getting involved, they get in touch. They join a facilitator. A training program. That training program shows you how to guide a roundtable process and a roundtable process might have four, five, six people max on it. During that process, everybody reads in rotation from a, a, a set of materials about a given value. So when we went out to the nation and asked, what are the values of leadership that need to get better, we got a resounding response from two independent surveys. Um, and that was around values like uh, listening, positive attitude, respect, honesty and integrity, accountability, competence, all those good foundational pieces that there is no current method to teach people at the moment. And, you know, you go back a few steps, you might have learned about them In the church, or you might have learned about them from your parents who were actively parenting these values and sharing them with you. But now, as Joanne said, we're living in such um, accelerated times that that kind of active um, parenting, which takes so much time to kind of share those values we're missing that moment to to do it. And this is a great mechanism. It also works really well around the kitchen table, by the way. And and what I love about it and what we all love about it is that every step of the process is grounded in the science of behavioural change. And we're seeing 86% of people who go through the process are saying that they are evidencing positive behavioural change. So this stuff works. It's great to hear this become
0: part of the conversation. I hosted a seminar yesterday on emotional intelligence in the workplace. And even for that to be part of a discussion made me feel so much more positive and hopeful for the future. And leadership is at the core of what you do. And what a leader is has really changed over time, hasn't it? Well, we're going to
3: change it again for you, Claire, because we're not talking about positional leadership, and this is a really important part of this. Absolutely every one of us is a leader. In this room, there are three of us here now, but we're all leading at different times. When when you're paying attention to what I'm saying, I'm leading you. And when you're when I'm paying attention to what you're saying, you're leading me. So we have influence over each other all the time, and that influence is e- either positive or negative. So when we talk about leadership, we're not talking about positional Positions or titles. We're talking about how we lead and how we influence um, I- every day. And in corporates, what we're finding is, is that practically every CEO that, that we've spoken to over the last five years has sort of leaned in and said, whoa, you know, either we have a great culture here, but we'd love to make it better. Or look, we've got pockets of toxicity here. How do we deal with that? And what Lyft does is Lyft is a mechanism for colleagues to get around in a safe, and non-judgmental way to stop and reflect on a particular leadership value um, and to take one tiny action step to get a little bit better. And because you're not allowed to comment on what anyone says in a round table, you get to hear how that person is reflecting on their intentions and their behaviours and their actions. Um, and, and it gives you a, beautiful insight to that individual and that in turn just builds these little trusted circles around organizations and the organizations that have partnered with us and we've over 125 of them now that are all working with us um are seeing great impact on cultural change
0: and that really comes to the active listening piece doesn't it the fact that you're not allowed to say anything or jump in because that's what we do and with the greatest of intention we're trying to think oh I have a cousin that went through
2: that or I have a story about that whereas you just need to take it and take it in. One of my favourite stories. The first listening is the first module that we do. The first value that we cover in every roundtable uh, program is listening, because it is so vital. And when I had to write, uh, so we during the process, you score yourself out of ten on what was my listening like for the last two days, one or two days, not a life sentence, n- not a judgment. Just how 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 good is, was I at listening for the last two days? And I started to think back, and I, I realized at that point that I was in the habit of sending emails and being on the phone at the same time. So, taking a phone call, having a conversation while sending an email. And it made me think for the first time I can't possibly be listening to the person on the phone if I'm writing an email. It doesn't matter how good a multitasker I am, I can't do those two things at the same time. And that was a kind of an, a point of no return for me where I realized, okay. I'm going to do my best. Now, I'm not saying I've never done it since, but I'm, every time I do it, I'm very mindful that I shouldn't be doing it. And it is that, that case that once you learn the subtleties of, of what good listening is, for example, you, you can't unaware yourself of them. You know them and you carry them with you.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just a muscle that you flex and that you just train. Um, but it's bringing that self-awareness, I suppose, is the first piece. And the workplace has completely changed. I mean, even if I think of, of starting out 25 years ago or more, even the discussion of culture, even the discussion of social responsibility, all these things are new and, and it's great. But we still need to put some systems in place because it's, it's like we've got the new and the old still trying to, to mesh together.
3: Yeah, but a lot of organisations are doing really good work from their onboarding phase all the way through to, you know, how they're rewarding people and thinking about their cultures and making sure that it's matched with their cultures. There are are fantastic organisations that are out there um, and certainly we see a lot of them um, that we're working with. There there are still some that there are still many that struggle with it. This is not a you talk about muscle building there, Claire, and it's like going to the gym Um, If I keep going to the listening gym and I keep on building my muscle around listening, I will get better and better and better at listening. But if I stop going to that gym, then I fall backwards and I, and that muscle sort of falls away. Um, so it's the exact same with, with our behaviour and our actions. We can fall back into sort of poor behaviour and actions if we don't keep on stopping or keep on using some kind of a process to hold ourselves to account and go, hang on, how am I doing with this? And we often see people who do a cycle of lift round tables. And then come back, don't do it for two or three months and then come back and say, I needed it again. <laughs> do you know I needed to, uh, to stop and think because now my awareness has gone up and there's nothing worse than knowing something but not doing it. So my awareness has gone up uh, and lift just because it's all it's all fixed around behavior change um, and pivots around behavior change. You leave every round table going at least I'm taking one positive step forward towards getting a bit better at this.
0: But it's so interesting. I know, obviously, you said it's a simple but not simplistic model, and you have the modules around competence, dedication, determination, listening. They're just a few of them. So it's not that it's without structure, but at its core, it's making time to communicate, and that's missing at kitchen tables and in workplaces, isn't it?
3: Absolutely, is, and in fact, in in uh, we work with uh, private companies, we're corporations, public sector, not for public sector, and. Uh, charities, schools, youth groups, everything across the board, uh, care after prison, you know, Goal Ireland, lots of them, we work with them. And in Laura Lynn, they call it the gift of lift because it's that sort of 30 to 40 minutes that you get once a week to stop and reflect. And I know in other organisations, they, when they had done pulse surveys with their employees, it just wasn't that time to stop and think. And Lyft is providing that for people as well as other things.
0: And that is so good to hear. Well, We'll have to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to be taking a look at how renewed leadership skills can help you in your home as well as your workplace. Alive and kicking on News Talk. You're welcome back to Alive and Kicking and I'm joined in studio by Sonia Lennon and Joanne Hessian of Lift Ireland and we've been talking about leadership. And Sonia, how can we bring the advice that you've both been giving us into our homes? I mean, workplaces are obviously the best place to start because there is a structure there. You're there for a certain amount of time of your day and a lot of your week.
2: But how do we bring some of these principles into our personal lives? I think fundamentally it's about creating Schedule time for reflection, and um, if we if we don't do that, time just marches on. And anybody who does want to do it, I I think one of the things I love about the way we set lift up is that it is the ultimate democracy. Anybody can join. Nobody has a reason to not do it so if you want to become uh, trained as a facilitator, it takes about a half a day maybe less now, about a half a day um, you you learn the skills to do that you then have the capacity to do round tables as many as you want with whoever you want and and we provide the materials to do that so if you decided you wanted to do it around your your kitchen table, there's nothing stopping you and you can access that. For free, so we run a Robin Hood model. So our corporate partners and and hopefully in in the near future, uh, philanthropy and government funding will provide that to organisations um, for free who who can't pay. So for at the moment we're funding uh, the lift process into two hundred and eighty two schools who have come to us and said, we need this for our young people. So, you know, the the the, the resourcing needs of Lyft is growing with its spread, with its virality. Um, uh, but but it is, if you come to us and say you want to do it, you can do it. Yeah, because I'm so conscious, you know, I, I listen for a living.
0: People think I talk for a living, but I actually listen for a living. But the one place I keep thinking I have to do it more is to my own kids at home is to really stop what I'm doing get eye contact with them, hear what they're saying and try not to just keep controlling them, just keep hearing them. And, I, you know, I think that's a, a valuable lesson for people and something that you're trying to put out there. That's it. And we could have
3: done this as a kids programme. Um, but exactly what you're talking about, we're modelling this behaviour to our young people. So that's why it's so important as adults that we do it. It's also important for youth, but our young people are, are brilliant. Uh, and it is important that we build... Um, their self-leadership and resilience and their mental strength, that's really important. But it's, if they're still, people do what people see, and if they're still seeing us act and behave in a different way, um, that's not going to be great. So that's why it's really important that we as adults do it
0: as well. So Joanne, from you starting out with this intent to, to make change, how have you, found it working and, and seen it working. I mean, you gave us the statistic there, uh, Sonia, of, of 86%. I mean, that's that's huge. How hopeful does it make you? Because I feel like at the minute in Ireland, there's a weird air, there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of bad news. But how hopeful are you within Lyft from what you're seeing, empowering people to be conscious of their own actions and behaviours?
3: On. Un- unbelievably positive, unbelievably hopeful. Like, Clara, you would not believe it. When we started this, I remember saying to David, uh, David, if we got 15% of people that that got involved with behaviour change, that would would be brilliant, because that would be brilliant for this country. That would have a ripple effect. But instead, we're seeing over 80%. So, So that's really amazing. I mean, we have kids that have written on anonymous evaluations. I've started to think more positively, and I'm now coming to school more often. You know, like, that's enormous. Or, I'm now not not paying attention to people just because of their popularity but because of who they are as a human you know like that, that's fantastic. We started in 2018 and we launched and we, we said, look, we're going to do this. We're going to get 10% of the population, strengthening how we're leading and really sort of debunking that whole thing of that leadership is success and everything else. It's not. Leadership and being a good leader is about having real significance in the world and in our country. Um, so we set out with this big 10% goal to get 10% of the population doing lift round tables. Now we're, we started in 2018. We haven't finished our fifth year yet. We're in five years. We've over 50,000 people that have got involved. We didn't start to scale till year three because we were putting the right structures and systems in place and the right team in place. So now that we have that, we've got really good scaffolding. We're very strong. So we started in our first year, we had a thousand people involved. In our second year, we six 6,000 people involved. In our third year, we would 17,000 people involved. Now you can see from the year three to where we are now in year five, halfway through, um, we've got 53,000 people involved. So we have started to scale. And Look, we're absolutely, Claire, you'll have to do a roundtable with us. You'd love it. You'd absolutely love it. I haven't come across somebody who hasn't sat down and go, wow, actually, this is more profound than I thought it would be. And all it is, is us stopping and giving ourselves the space and time to think about what's important, how am I behaving, how am I acting and how do I get a tiny little bit better? And this is not clear about being perfect because I don't know about Sonia, but I certainly am not oh, perfect. I ain't perfect. I certainly am not. But it's great to know that I'm getting better every day.
0: Yeah. And, and that's it's not massive. telling people how to live. No, it's just asking them to no, bring a bit of self-awareness.
2: Has it not, changed
0: both of you personally?
2: Yeah. I think so. I think so. Um, it, it, it is definitely a mechanism to, to slow things down, even just for that 40 minutes a week to take time to reflect. And I was listening to, you will know, Marty Seligman, the, the godfather of positive psychology on a podcast the other day. And he originally, he, he described the importance of meaning um, in positive psychology. And he has now recanted that and said, I'm going to change because meaning is too big. It it, it feels like you're trying to boil the ocean. It feels like you're trying to do, change the world. He's now replaced meaning with mattering. And he said, mattering is what's important to people. And that might be just in their own family. It might be in their social group. And what I've seen is that everybody who sits around a round table, either online or physically, has the feeling that they matter because they are heard and they can reflect and they can understand themselves better. I absolutely love that.
0: And,
3: and actually, to add to that, the Lyft team, we've all changed. I mean, we have all changed. Anybody who, who gets involved and people that are doing it long term, we have all changed. And David, who was cynical about it and, you know, as he said, he's a realist and so on. David's now doing a master's in psychology and is talking about doing a PhD in this area specifically to benefit Lyft because he wants to get it out there so much about how important this is.
0: Incredible! How can people find out more and support you? So
3: liftireland.ie is our website. Uh, So you'll find any information that you need on there. And uh, look, just get in touch. Joanne at liftireland.ie is my email address. Feel free to send me an email. Uh, But hop onto one of our online roundtables if you'd like to see how one goes or get in touch with us if you'd like to get it into your organisation, bring it into your youth group, your community, your GAA club, your school, your uh,
2: organisation, your public sector department wherever you'd like it. And if you've pots of cash and you would like to fund this of course you can get in, in touch directly with Joanne.
0: Yeah, <laughs> spend your money where it matters.
3: Yeah, this is huge and it, do you know what also, like it costs about 12 euro, 12 euro 19 I think it is for to have one, one young person to have their teacher trained to give them the materials for us to be able to support them to, for, to be able to train them 12, just over 12 euros per young person. We could get all, the whole country, young per- people, and it's young people that we really want to fund because the corporates they can fund themselves. They want to use it, and they are funding it. We've been using the the excess off that, the profit off that, to fund all the schools. But now we really need more capacity, and we have the demand. We have the pull. We've shown it's worked, and now we just need the funds to
0: move it forward. Save me a seat at the next round table. I think it's right up my street. Mm -hmm. I have loved this conversation. Thank you you so much, Joanne Hessian and Sonia Lennon from Lift Ireland. Thanks, Claire. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Alive and Kicking, News Talk's health and wellness show. If there's ever a topic you would like covered on the show or you'd like to comment on one which has already been on, we'd love to hear from you, Alive and Kicking at NewsTalk.com. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, I would so appreciate if you would rate, subscribe, and share with a friend. Alive and Kicking on News Talk.